This is Shaka Wart speak. <laughs> Garrett, we're hey, it's Shaka Wart speak. What's up? Yeah, I need I need a second cup of coffee, so I'm gonna pull the lid off. Man, I haven't been able to drink coffee in the morning. I've been having like this crazy acid reflux. Oh yeah, me too. I I just drink the acid reflux. <laughs> That's sounds, me slurping my coffee. Wait. Sounds like a good cup of joe. <laughs> sounds like you're are you using a straw? <laughs> the best part of waking up is Shaka with my cup. You know That's why right. I'm saying that? Because uh, no. we have friends that oh, have something do. called Reveresco coffee. Yeah, we do. And they are making or have made a Shaco blend. I haven't tried it yet. I yeah. Really wanna, have you tried it yet? I'm drinking it right now. Oh, dang it. The best part of waking up <laughs> is Shaco blend in my cup. So if you want to get some Shaco Art Space coffee, that's right. Hit us up. Yeah. Because it's going down. It is. And it's probably going to make you a better artist. Yeah. Maybe even I mean, a better person. Just a know. better. I think it'll give you a better outlook on life. Yeah. I mean, little. I think if there's one thing that can transform all of our lives, it's coffee. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, I'm on a few different medications right now, so it's going to be a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I warned Gareth. We're going to talk about some very deep and insightful topics uh, while Ryan's on medication. <laughs> while medication. So this could be uh, the Art Speak calling episode fe- slash fever dream episode. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> um, well, so hey, everyone, and hey, Gareth. And, hey, what's up? Yeah. I wish you brought donuts today. I tried to send you a mental message, and <laughs> apparently you didn't get it. So oh, I didn't catch that. Sorry, dude. You didn't catch dude. that message, dude. Okay, it's all right. It's snacks, been a long morning. Yeah, snack smell did not deliver today. I got some. I got a pack of peanut butter crackers in my bag I've had for a few weeks. Yeah, what's weird is that's the same pack that was in your pocket weeks before you put it in your bag. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that's gross. No, by the time I take it out of there, I'll be like, oh, no, it looks like it's fine, but the whole bottom of the bag will just be crumbs. Yeah. Even weirder is you. you think that those are – Crackers, but they're actually tater tots. Man, could you hold on? Wait now. Could you imagine like single serving packs of tater tots? Yes, I can. I think we just that's great. I, I like that a lot. That could be a, a part of our snacks mail series. Yeah, of of items that we sell. How do you have like shelf stable tater tots that you don't have to cook? You don't, they don't need to be shelf shelf stable. Well, they need to be like remotely shelf stable. Yeah, just put them in the freezer, dude. Keep a little freezer on hand. <laughs> Oh, well, this is getting too difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's normally what what happens behind the I scenes. Think that's, with us. I think that's really the, the wall that the big tater tot industry has run into. <sighs> yeah. You know that how, how big uh, sales uh, went up for tater tots when Napoleon Dynamite came out? I'm sure it was massive. Massive. Give me some tots. Give, Give me some tots. tots. Absolutely. And, and like just like really bad steak. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I know I've told you this, but we just have to have a conversation here. Do it. So the scene where Uncle Rico. Hits Napoleon Dynamite in the face with a steak. Yeah, was real. That's amazing. Like it's I love so it. good. It's one of my favorite. Go stories back and watch it. So go watch that because he was just supposed to like glance him or like go over his head, but he smokes <laughs> him in the face with yeah, a you steak. You can't. You have to keep that in. And so if you look and you watch, like Pedro was supposed to stay in the scene, mm-hmm. <laughs> but instead Napoleon gets off the bike, and you see the character of Pedro. Walk the bike off, and you see him trying really badly not to, to hold in his laughter, <laughs> and he's not really doing it. It's one of my. I'm gonna go stories. back and watch that. I haven't watched that scene in a long it's time. It's so good. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> hey, so we I guess we, you know with that, let's just. <laughs> it's a good. That's segue. a great way to start that's off. A good way to do it. Uh, I confess, this one is <laughs> this one's gonna be odd and maybe unclear. Ironically, 
Um, yeah, you're going to have to take a couple listens on this one. Yeah, this is going to be a couple listen one. And we'll probably have to do two parts to this. So we're going to talk about like kind of a multi-point. So, you know, we've been talking about calling and we've got some great feedback from it. Actually, I, you know, people are um, just, yeah, we've just got, just got a lot of good feedback. So I know that folks are listening and thinking about these things and like yeah. there's been some clarity for some folks and like that's super encouraging me. I, I mean, you know, all of our conversations will land a plane on something, but probably raise more questions. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, you know, just to start off with the more things, the more, you know, the more things are clear, the more questions it raises actually, mm-hmm. it, it's not, it, it, there's not a terminus. Like it doesn't terminate on something like the, the, the way we are, the way, excuse me, the way the world is, it doesn't work that way. I was going to say the bigness and fullness of the world. Like yeah. It makes sense, right? If we live in a world that's actually worth something, then the questions will always, like, yeah. questions will get more questions. Yeah. So like answered questions or, or obtaining knowledge uh, because we're finite beings <laughs> means that um, it, it opens up what is still not known in a keen or specific way. So like, so, so to know is to come to know more. It's the philosopher's paradox or the paradox of the circle or paradox of knowledge. And, you know, it's what old, older folks say, the, the older I get, the less I know. Yeah. It's just, it's just that the older you get, the more you know, and that is increasing an awareness of that which you still don't know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in, in episodes like this, it's like um, questions should start to be framed differently mm-hmm. as certain things become more clear. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like if you went for a swim in the ocean, like the longer you swim in the ocean, the more you realize how big that thing is. Yeah. 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 The further you got the shore, the deeper the, Mm -hmm. you know, so you, so you're doing the work and you're treading in and and then your sense of scale actually is becomes altered a little bit because you're like, Oh, I'm in the ocean. Yeah. It becomes, which uh, is why it moves towards like an actual, you know, proper knowledge of that scale. Yeah. 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 And of oneself. So, (laughs) so kind of like with that in mind, I, th- I think it would be interesting to talk about um, uh, free will <laughs> yeah, and what happens if you're not operate. So it's kind of like a three part, like free will and what, ha- and how does that relate to not operating and perhaps what you're called to. Ooh, okay. Cool. Cool. Super cool. weird. Super weird. So like, uh, so we're going to be talking about like Kevin Garnett NBA finals, like anything is possible. Anything is exactly. Anything is possible. Not that repeat. Not that repeat. Oh, <laughs> or the three peat you wanted. No, no. The big three. He's so funny. There's a quote of him saying that like the league has changed, man. Everybody just leaves and goes to play for a good team. And I was like, wait, time out. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wait, you were you were on that side of the country. Yeah. Then you went to that side of the country and got a ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so I don't want to isolate it my non sports our non sports listeners. <laughs> <laughs> when did he, uh, but for those of you who like basketball, yeah, a little you, you know, you know, that's a, that's a humorous thing. So, um, I don't know. Sometimes people go to teams that are supposed to be good and that team sucks real bad. Yeah. I'm not saying any names. I'm not saying any names. So, but we were, yeah, it's a free will. Free will. Okay. So I want to start with like a link back to the phenomenology, uh, the phenomenological series, the rethink the world series, phenomenology. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was like, you know, it'd be cool if we could get our listeners to do a little exercise that I like to do. Yes. It's a little Albers color interaction exercise. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Um, and so, so, you know, what I would suggest you do now or later is grab like, you know, like a nine by 12 inch piece of black paper. 
and like or like or you know like how you have like those sketchbooks that are blah black yeah yeah and um there's a clean black side to it and then get like another sketchbook that has a clean white page and put them side by side completely yeah so what i tell what i always say and so what i would say to you is the temptation when doing what i'm going to suggest is just to explain it away and go what's well, because mm-hmm. this and this and the retina and that's a really fascinating discussion but the point that for me that I want to make in relationship to free will is that um, it's not um, why it's happening. It's that it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good point. Yeah. So that is happening. So what I'd like to do, and you know, I've told you about this, but um, is, you know, get out some post-it notes, cut two blue, cut one blue piece of paper into two exact size, one inch squares, Mm -hmm. and then just put them down on the white and the, the black side. Yeah. And then stare at it. So I'm, I'm being serious. You, you, you already know this. Some of you painters and, you know, designers, you already know all this. This is like rudimentary what's going to happen, but you should think yeah. about it afresh. So when you look at it, what you'll see is like the black side um, blue paper will get lighter um, and the edges will get crisper. Mm-hmm. And then the blue on the um, – and so it'll push forward. It'll pop forward more. And then if you look at the um, – uh, blue on the white side, the blue will become more saturated. It'll become deeper and the edges become diffuse. So it'll, it'll both be deep, but it'll also appear to be sinking mm-hmm. into the page. And so they'll, it's like magic, you know, so then when you slide the paper back over, they look exactly the same because they are the same mm-hmm. and you know, they are the same. And then you slide it back over again and it changes like magic. You're like, Whoa. Yeah. Even if you put it on this, the, the uh, joining edge between black and white right in the center, it's super funny because it will look different without there being a clear line and your yeah. eyes will just start going bonkers if you're really looking. So, you know, I always do this and it's like, um, you know, we're not getting into theory per se or the why or, uh, you know, all of that. But the point I like to make is, um, you know, I have, and so I would suggest that you do it and just do it, you know, like yeah. cut the paper, look at it. And then spend after you've examined, describe what the differences are. What are the effectual differences? What is what is this side doing on the black side? Was on the white side, you know. And you can do it with any color and any any background. There'll be variations, but they'll always change. And you're not manipulating it. You're just putting it into a different context, right? Mm-hmm. So what I like to suggest is I have I like always have my students stare. So they're working with like ideas that I think a lot of us have thought or a lot of folks would say is things like we make our own reality. Mm-hmm. So we, we, and we say things like knowledge is power. And so I define everything. And, you know, so, so I'll say all that and I'll say, you cut the paper, you know, it's the same piece of paper. Mm-hmm. When we put them in, I'll say, if someone else walked in and they just saw them on the left and the right side, do you think they'd think it's the same paper? And most people say, well, no, not really. Cause they look totally different. It's like, correct. I don't think most people would think that unless they're really in tune. They go, well, it's maybe because of the background. And like, okay, cool. But, um, Otherwise, I'll have them stare and I'll say, stare. I said, you, you have the ability to make your own reality. Mm-hmm. You, it's all about perception. Mm-hmm. You also um, know for sure this was one piece of paper cut in half. Mm-hmm. Stare at it until you start to see them as the same color again. So people will stare. I'll let them stare. How long does that take? I mean, it, they stare and then they keep staring and then they start to kind of like waver and they're like, it's getting harder. Yeah. And so um, now this is all up for debate, right? So I'm making some leaps, you know, so people can debate me on this and, and it's totally cool. It's a whole big discussion. But what's fun is it's like you can't change it with knowledge and perception mm-hmm. unless you move things around. Yeah. 
So, so it can't, you can't do it. You can't will it to be the same. Mm-hmm. It, it resists you in that sense. It's acting on you as much as you are acting on it. And I use that to explain how, like, you know, if the black side of the, is like the classroom and the still life setup or the figure, you know, and, the, and then the, I mean, I'm giving away my secrets, but if I use, and then the white page is like your sketchbook or whatever, you, you, if you don't address the context, you won't be accurate but you won't know it until you'll just assume you always draw things too lightly or too darkly. That's mm-hmm. like in the context of this like basic class I'm, I teach in the beginning. Yeah. But the implications are huge. So, so if, if everyone's following me, it's worth doing this. And, and then I, I give an example. One of my examples is, um, you know, this is not merely the case at the size of paper. This is also the case at the size of buildings, mm-hmm. at the size of om- virtually almost anything. Yeah. So put another way, nothing is neutral. Mm-hmm. So then I, I use an example that actually happened in my class where I had two drawings. I had three drawings. Two were darker. They were all still lifes. Two were darker. They had a the darker tonality. They were missing some middle tone and half tone stuff and, mm-hmm. and they're higher contrast. And then the one in the center um, appeared lighter. And so um, I may have shared this story in here before. I can't remember. But um, the center drawing was the one being critiqued. And everybody was like, well, the values are off. You, you know, they're doing the... <laughs> uninformed put more salt and pepper on it put yeah. more light and dark on it like sprinkle it on like really unspecific and it's earlier in the semester and I'm, and this drawing looks accurate to me mm-hmm. so they i got a hunch but you gotta you can't you can't will it to look correct you have to actually do some things right just like yeah. i just shared so i'm like you know this person's catching the the, the hard critique and is going to feel like they got to go back and rework it mm-hmm. so i had the i said class let's stop here for a second everybody go outside and close the door so everybody goes outside, close the door. I'm like, I'll call you back in in a few minutes. I take the drawing on the left and the right down and leave the drawing up in the center. And sure enough, it looks great. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, call back in the class and everybody stares at it. And I was like, so what would you do with it now? And they're like, it's weird. It, it looks. <laughs> How would you fix it? It looks correct. It doesn't look off at all. The yeah. contrast is actually better. So everybody's kind of scratching their head. And what was happening? Well, the, the, the drawing on the right and the left were affecting it and were causing our ability to see it differently. And they were diminishing its properties by borrowing its properties into their own drawings, like by pulling it in, you know, from a, the way our eyes work and the way color mixes and the way value mixes tone and all that stuff. And so then, um, so then it was clear we didn't need to, the critique was off. Yeah, yeah. Then it was like, okay, well, um, uh, take the middle drawing down, look at the two dark drawings. Sure enough, they need a lot more help mm-hmm. when that middle drawing wasn't around. And I was like, can you imagine how many yeah. of you have received poor critiques? Because people people don't expect that there's uh, anything outside of themselves strong enough to mm-hmm. resist their perception and altering or altering the way your work is being seen to the point that people are like, I, I don't like it, but I don't know why. Yeah. And it's not actually a matter of liking. It's a matter of effect. It's a matter of something happening outside of yourself. Mm. And so, you know, so we get in this whole conversation about being wise about where you hang your work in terms of effect, not preference. Big difference. So, you, so you know, you, you wrong with me. Is that making sense? Yeah. Because I, I just, I don't know, you know, I'm talking quickly, so. No, I, I think I think it's good. I mean, I, the, and, it, you know, just to kind of push that, that further, the, um, it's not just like the work we make, but it's also the context in which things happen. I mean, I, I had an experience uh, working in a school one time where I was in a really strong department, uh, so to speak. Um, but there, 
I kept getting told by folks in administration that my classes were too hard, that I was I was doing too much uh, in the courses. And I asked, well, what's, you know, a standard load? And they were like, oh, they're doing one project a semester. And I was like, mm, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm the one that needs to critique. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it was the same sort of thing uh, because I was kind of like the, the odd one out, mm-hmm. I guess. It was yeah. a little easier to be like, oh, well, that's the one that's off or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but the context was huge. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah. I didn't feel like I was doing a difficult class at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's intellectual context, there's visual context, like there's all these, and then they overlap and they create. Yeah strong unities so maybe the last example i would share just to kind of drive the point home a little even a little further yeah yeah. and it has the social dynamics you're talking about and then it has it has the visual Mm -hmm. um or the institutional if you will but i my first time getting to show and i think i've shared the story too so forgive me y'all these are you've heard before but in this context i think they'll be helpful so driving my first uh, work to new york to be in a show in chelsea at a -hmm. gallery first time from richmond and and uh with another guy and um, not excited about moving trucks, not excited about driving through New York, not a yeah. driver, especially at that time. It's a long time ago. And it's this weird monorail sculpture thing I made that was curated in the show with other painters from the same department I was from and mm-hmm. et cetera. So we get to the gallery and this thing is, is disassemblable and doesn't look great when it's disassembled. It doesn't make any sense until you put it together. <laughs> so the gallerist is a large lady in that she's tall, like kind of imposing yeah. figure and sort of in that kind of Chelsea gallery potential big yeah. shot sort of way is yeah. like, what is this? And I'm like, well, I'm Ryan and you know, this is my crazy painting sculpture, 15 foot long thing you curated in mm-hmm. this show we're doing. And she's already like, not really down with it. Like almost like threatening to not have it in the show. And I was like, well, it's just gotta be put together and it'll look like you saw on your, yeah, you know, the slides. And uh, so it's not very friendly. I'm more, I'm almost feeling like tears in the back of my eyes cause I'm intimidated mm-hmm. and um you know, I uh, go into the room. There's two galleries. They're bigger galleries. They're equal. They're squares. Mm-hmm. And you come in from like the right side door, turn left, and it's a square. And if there's like four corners in the room, sort of uh, um, to the left, the floors are concrete. Mm-hmm. And then the concrete goes up into a concrete pillar in the left corner. But with space where you can walk around that pillar, but it goes up to the ceiling, mm-hmm. and then you go to the next space, which has a little door, and it's a sim- it's a twin gallery behind, it's like like almost like a row house style space. Mm-hmm. So I go in there, and there's already paintings going up, and she's like, "Well, it's just going to have to go dead center of the room." And I looked at it, and I was like, um, mm, "I don't think that's going to work because the 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 shape of the sculpture is like." It's like a monorail, so it's got like curves on both sides, and mm-hmm. it's a light absorbent material that's pink and green, and and the way the lights are shining, it's going to reflect this color strongly back on the paintings and flatten them by casting a unified color. Yeah. So it's going to make all the uh, the paintings on the walls um, flatter. And uh, so I begin to try to say that, and she's like, "I'm the gallerist. I pay the bills. I sell million dollar paintings. You keep your mouth shut. Just do what I say." Literally. And I was like, okay. So build it. Two hours later, it's getting close to lunch. She's like, I don't like it. I don't, it doesn't feel right in here. Speaking in the, in the language of feeling and preference because mm-hmm. of an ignorance, right? Yeah. So, so, um, you know, it's like on, it's teetering with her gallery assistants. Like, should we take it out? I said, please, can I move it while you're on lunch? And if you don't like it, I'll hustle hard, take it down. I'll, I'll go home and mm-hmm. that'll be it. She said, fine. So the thing was, the sculpture is 15 feet by like four feet wide. It's 15 mm-hmm. feet long, six feet tall, four feet wide. And this pillar is about two feet square, 
right? And it's it's literally a gray floor extending vertically into the space, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I all I wanted to do originally was turn it at a slight angle and then push it up against one side of it up against the pillar. So the pillar absorbs a bunch of the the color into the pillar yeah. and the two objects in the room become one and become smaller by default. Mm-hmm. That means also less light is hitting it in an even way. And by being tweaked, the light that was kicking back was hitting more of the corners of the room yeah. and off the painting. So when we did it and moved it, a friend of mine helped me, we moved it, built it, rebuilt it, moved it. Um, the paintings, the contrast and the paint, all the paintings clarified and came forward. Mm-hmm. So show looked pretty good. So when, and it was conforming to the space itself also. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I've said this a million times, but the story a million times, but the first person that walks in kind of like ballet twirled into the space and said, gosh, it feels really good in here. Mm -hmm. So still speaking in the language of feeling. Then someone else comes in and goes, this looks great speaking the language of preference. Mm -hmm. And as uh, uh, the gallerist, I won't say her names, I don't want to get in trouble, but like as the gallerist came in, um, she just looked around and before she could say something, somebody who was just like, the gallery director, somebody who was just like peeping in goes, Hey, such and such. This is like one of the best shows you've ever had. This looks awesome. And then, and then she just kind of smiled and walked through, didn't acknowledge me <laughs> and went straight to the, uh, the back of their desk, or whatever. And the, sh- the work stayed in the show. Um, and so I use that example to say that there's more going on that then, I mean, I don't know if this is getting confusing or not, but I'm using these examples to say that there's, um, there's stuff happening outside of us mm-hmm. and their constraints. Yeah. They're not, they're not, um, uh, freedoms per se, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the sense that you can just, you do whatever you want and it works because you said so. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't, you know, so, so what's, so what would be the point of, of kind of like talking from this point? Well, if we're talking about free will, mm-hmm. what is that? And how does that correspond with the world? And the call. Yeah. And um, yeah, so going from there, how do you think, like we're going to, so put a pause on that, everyone mm-hmm. listening, just put a pause on sort of some of the, like what, I, what I'm suggesting you go do. So you can just experience the defiance of these little things, mm-hmm. you know, hitting your eye. And then we're going to come back and like fold that into the sense that that is there to be made. And so, you know, I would just ask, like, how do we how do we tend to think about free will for a second? Like, what do, what do we think that means? Like, what are some different just like, you know, different ways that people think about it, you know, without judgment? Yeah, I, I think you got a few different categories, right? Like it's um, it's the natural state of humans when not obstructed by other humans. So we think of it that way, right? Like that, uh, you know, I, I, I have freedom when other people haven't taken it from me um, in that sense. I have free will when it's it's just how we are natural. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we think of free will as unbounded, completely limitless, um, you know, um, 100% just open, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think those those tend to be like the big ways that mm-hmm. I, I think through the idea of free will. Yeah. That it's the natural state of humans mm-hmm. and that it is limitless. Yeah. Yeah, it's a natural state. It's a given. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it actually means it implies that we are – Forgive me if you you said this, but it, it suggests that we're like the greatest thing, and yeah, therefore yeah, no, totally. there's no reality that has any governing authority over us. Mm-hmm. And we've thought this way for a while, so it's sort of like, no, 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 I'm free. It's so like in a religious context, people are like, no, no, I'm free to choose whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Like I make my choices, and I've been 
made to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you have like in a, you know, you have strict materialists that uh, would think in an existential way and say things like, well, it's um, uh, we create self-authenticating acts. Mm-hmm. And somehow I I have to brave the unknown in such a way that I, I do something that authenticates my true self yeah. that is laden until the actualization of the, the act, so mm-hmm. to speak. And, and, um, and then we like to um, imagine a, 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 um, a range of freedom mm-hmm. that is greater than what we can actually do. Yeah. And provided we're imagining it but not actualizing it, it creates the, um, a state of possibility that rests on us. In other words, the state of, the state of mind that rests on us is, is such that I can be whatever I want. I am free. Um, does that make does that make sense? It makes total sense. Okay. And it's also something that's been highly experienced. I mean, um, you know, so so I teach courses that deal with like business practice for artists, mm-hmm. and so I've I've had students tell me they're like, I'm going to be an artist, but I don't I don't ha- I'm not going to I don't need to know anything about how that relates to people like acquiring my work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you have freedom to believe that. Mm-hmm but you don't have free will for that to be possible. Mm -hmm. You know, like your work is necessarily in connection with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there are those sort of, those sort of things that always kind of pop back in where it's like, well, I think we, yeah, we're, we're conflating terms. Yeah. Yeah, And and it is detrimental to a lot of things. Totally. So we, so um, we're not gonna be able to, this is like a gigantic actual conversation. So I don't think we'll be able to cover it all today, Not even but, but, um, I will sort of kick around. So, so a lot of times free. So imagine, imagine for a moment that the world has more kind of, um, and this is like a sloppy way of saying this. I don't think this is the right way to say it, but for right now, since I'm kind of on medication, the world is, um, the world externalized to ourselves has, uh, kinds of governing authorities over us mm-hmm. so we that accord with the governing authorities of our body in other words we're op, we're subject to our objecthood mm-hmm. and so we're subject to our objecthood and then we're conscious about it and in that we are aware of our frame mm-hmm. our physical state our bodies our lungs and there's an accordance between us and the world we find ourselves in so we Breathe in and air comes in, right? So if you start following this, you realize that freedom, uh, as we like to think about it in an unreflective way, mm-hmm. um, is, is limited. And then will has something to do with our desire. So our desires um, are often um, groundless to the governing authorities. Mm-hmm. And what they do is our, our desires tend to look for the places where it seems like there is no governing authority. And then we say that's, we, we call that freedom. Mm-hmm. And then we try to exercise that. And we often then will say, I'm, 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 I'm living free. I'm, mm-hmm. I've, I've, it's like I've evolved, I've progressed. I'm, and in, in what I've found, and I'm going to go backwards into all this later, but it's sort of like um, in those spaces, the more confusing something actually is, mm-hmm. like the more muddled the colors are, the less clear it is. Mm-hmm. The more that is how that's what signifies to us that 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 indeed is freedom, um, and then the effects of the muddled render a muddledness within us. 
mm-hmm. we're unclear because it's not clear. Mm-hmm. But it's an effect, like the color acting on your eye. It's an effect that you can't shake and you're not aware of it. Yeah. So you're actually uh, playing semantic games and saying this is freedom when it's actually the opposite of freedom. It's the uh, it's like another way I would say it is like it's dehumanizing, not humanizing. Mm-hmm. Like a flower grows up into the sun, leans into it, and it becomes the kind that it is. Um, there's no confusion there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so uh, like things according to their kind do that across the board. Yeah. You know, orangutans act a certain way, mm-hmm. and they got a range, but it's uh, the range is only recognized within in the bounds of the limitations as well. Yeah, and then when you see a remarkable orangutan, like I just saw one paying attention to some magic tricks, and mm-hmm. the orangutan was intelligent. It was a really beautiful, incredible thing. Yeah, and uh, there that orangutan is displaying the height of of kind of what you might expect from that kind, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, so there's something about limitations that create the experience of freedom, mm-hmm. but th- it also comes within the recognition that there are governing authorities outside of ourselves that limit what we can do. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, that, that, that's I, I've shared this probably twice okay. over the last few years on this, but there, you know, there was that psychological study, in like late eighties, early nineties, and there was a a playground at a, like a daycare, and there was a road like let's say a hundred yards on the other side of this playground, and so they had um, had the students play on the playground, see what they did, then they put a fence up around the playground, and see what they did. And what they observed kind of, I mean, it's completely in line with what you're saying, but what they observed was kind of a head scratcher for some of the folks because they thought, oh, there, there's no fence. Like these kids are going to be bolting for the street. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, we're going to have to like catch these kids before they hurt themselves. They're going to be everywhere. What they found is that the kids actually hugged the wall of the school or daycare much mm-hmm. more tightly mm-hmm. because there was no apparent, there was no apparent boundary. Mm-hmm. And so their freedom actually like disappeared mm-hmm. because they were then just falling back into things like fear, yep. uh, the possibility of, of being hurt or things yep. like that. Then they put the fence up and they put the fence up right by like the sidewalk to where the road was. And these kids were climbing on the fence yep. and they had no regard for the, the cars that were six feet away yep. because they had a thing, a boundary, a limitation mm-hmm. that actually said, no, you can explore the fullness of what this freedom is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because you don't have to like, you don't have to suppose like the terrible things have the anxiety that comes with not knowing and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. There's no muddledness to it. Yeah. And, uh, and I always love that. And I always, I always talked about that in every class I teach because, um, it gets to this point that, that when we, when we come to a place where we say I have absolute freedom, mm-hmm. then usually a lot of things that follow are, are confusion, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like just complete inability to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And then that stuff can grow into apathy and atrophy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if you have all that freedom, where is it? Yeah. Because it's just it's just something I experience over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm going to come back to that. That's a good point too because it, I think you could make, well, you'll be able to make the leap into like the critical moment we're in our society right now mm-hmm. where um, we've been swimming in the ironist, you know, or, you know, almost a decade ago, ironist kind of mm-hmm. uh, state of expression where it's like everything goes a kind of freedom and, and that begets into like a kind of a, a fear and an anxiety. And I don't want to chase it down too hard, but like a safe space phenomena mm-hmm. that demands that that fences be put back up yeah. and that someone governs for us because everyone's afraid mm-hmm. because they've been swimming out in the ocean too long and now they don't know how 
how to def- understand themselves. Confusion sets in. Mm-hmm. So freedom or free will then in some way has something to do with being, um, it's, it's exercising, um, it's, it's the ability to exercise, um, an effect like a given state of affair, a given state of affairs to a limited scope. Yeah. It's the ability to affect some change. It's the ability to, it's the ability to do something in a determined way, but in a limited capacity. Yeah. Um, it's limited by your knowledge. It's limited by your ontology, what you are as a human. Humans are limited mm-hmm. and it's limited to the restraints of your desire capacity. Um, also, it could be limited by brokenness, like how we are not necessarily what we should be. And so it narrows what we can do. So we have a limited state of affairs that we can affect through the through what we call free will. So we can choose, but it's within um, more constraints that are external to us, but also internal to our frame mm-hmm. than the way we imagine it in a in a, a kind of isolated static way. Yeah. Um, and you know, and so we call like imaginativity, like like so. I was talking to some. Um, some some smaller kids about art. I had the privilege of having uh, some kids in my studio with their parents to talk about art. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, imagination. I said, I said, um, you know, imagine a alligator walks in with a tutu on, and everybody, all these kids laugh. Yeah. I was like, why are you laughing? They're like, because it's funny. I was like, why? They're like, I could see it in my mind. And I was like, how? It's not real. <laughs> and then everybody pauses, and then it's like, I was like, well, here's how. You, you know what an alligator is and you know what a ballerina is. Mm-hmm. So you're working off of knowledge, a limited set, and then you have the ability to imagine in your mind this alligator with a tutu. Yeah. You know? And so it becomes plausible, but also without losing yourself to the, the fantasy of it, and it, that becomes humorous. Mm-hmm. And like kids were like eating it up. You know, like that's yeah. your imagination. And so we're always working out of the constraints. We're always working with what's in front of us. Like, mm-hmm. So knowledge is bound to like so to go back to the color um once i know that i'm i can't will things to change with my perception mm-hmm. i have to interact with it and acknowledge its governing realities like the way it wants to work as well mm-hmm. and you move things around well then you can ch- you can change things but only like by playing kind of by the rules so to speak yeah it, so 100%. yeah so then you so what you experience is the freedom of communing with that which is in such a way that something happens that's meaningful and so it's like gravity. Like if you try to if you try to work against gravity and act as though it does not exist, you're just going to fall off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. But if you're willing to go dive off a cliff into the water, you ex- mm-hmm. you experience the benefits of gravity and that what it can afford you because you're in agreement with it. Mm-hmm. And so you can affect a, a limited state of affairs by jumping out of a plane, but with all the parachute, the trainer or the the flight dude that flies on your back and the mm-hmm. you know I'll never do this, so I don't know. But um you know, when you're working with, there's limits you can stretch. You can stretch the limits, but it's always with regards to what is re- real and external to you. Yeah. And I think, um, I think right now we are in a very, very we've lost connection to this, mm-hmm. and we have an overestimated sense of ourselves. And here, maybe just to be a little more provocative, as artists, even um, there's an overestimation about ourselves and a dissatisfaction. Yeah. So the question is, why should you expect satisfaction mm-hmm. unless it's there to be found? And if it's not in you, 
what if it's what if it's in something else? What mm-hmm. if it's in someone else? Like, what if it's if it's not in you? Why change you? Mm-hmm. What if it's just that your categories are scrambled, and you thought it was freedom, but it's really confusion, mm-hmm. and you're miserable in confusion. Yeah, but because you believe it's freedom, and you've been exercising your will towards what you believe is freedom, it's eating you up. But you think that's actually you transforming. Mm-hmm. Like, what if you're? So another way of saying it's like, what if we're wrong? Yeah. yeah. What do you do? You know, and then what kind of pressure does that put on the work you make? What does your work say? Hundred percent. Well, I was going to go super practical with it. And I was like, everything you're talking about, like that's it's it's some of the first stuff that at least I think you should hear within design education, which is you don't you don't you don't design into a vacuum, mm-hmm. you know, because if you do, then what you get is exactly what you're talking about. I've got no direction. I'm aimless. I have no idea what it mm. is. And I also have no bearing for how to judge whether my work is good, successful, productive. Like any mm. words you put on it, you don't yeah. really have those bearings. Interesting. So, so you're always uh you're always operating out of what is the design problem? Because there's mm. always there's always a design problem and those are your limitations. Mm-hmm. Right. So if it is <clears throat> if it's a client based thing and you say the client needs X, Y, and Z, they want this thing to happen. Okay, well now we have a place to think. Now we have a place to come up with ideas. If it's if it's studio based stuff, and you're kind of rocking the thing, then you have your you have your limitations and your mm-hmm. space. But but what you would what you would never like if you walked into a design course, and the professor on the first day said, "I'm not going to give you any prompts, I'm not going to do anything, but I'm going to expect you to make great work," mm-hmm. you would leave. I would hope. Yeah, you would walk out. And uh, you know another kind of anecdotal thing is, I had a friend who worked uh, was working on faculty at uh, a, a really good design program and. Um, they had kind of done that and mm-hmm. said, you know, hey, at the graduate level, we're just going to say, hey, whatever, whatever you want to do, just do it. Mm-hmm. And they were having an issue because they were like, we don't have any, we're not having any MFA studios or any, any MFA students who are producing enough, the good enough work for us to actually have a show. Mm-hmm. Like they're just not, it's not happening. And they were like, why is this going on? Mm-hmm. And he was like, same thing. He was like, well, we haven't given them any design problems. Yeah. Haven't given them, given them any design space mm-hmm. we've said actually everything's here so you know somebody was building these giant like sculptural things that had no connection to anything and nobody understood and they couldn't explain and they didn't even like mm-hmm. and they were like what's going on it's like well you gave them free will mm-hmm. as you think it exists yeah and what they did is nothing nothing yeah and and, and so so and, and that feels antithetical to art because it's like who's to say what art is who's to say what i Who's to tell me what I should do? And um, I, I think this corresponds with why why the high number of people quit making art and are really bitter right. and really bitter and really angry um, because it's like being sold a bill of goods that doesn't accord with their their experience and they haven't been equipped. Like you know, if I want to experience the joy of the rapids, mm-hmm. I need to be equipped with how to navigate a raft. I need to know yeah. all the I need to know the safety precautions. I need to understand what level three, two, whatever whatever that that terminology is like mm-hmm. like there's no thing that anyone does that doesn't have like sort of rules that govern yeah. you know what it is like if i want to play basketball yeah. and i show up with uh hockey gear on and i just start kicking a puck around i'm not playing basketball no and to call it something and say well it's something new no it's it's a collision of two things it could become something new yeah but then you'd have to figure out how to uh understand the essence of each enough to retain a semblance of that in a uh, future fusion of the two. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying we don't even get that about ourselves. We're confused about ourselves. Yeah. So if we're confused, 
And then we expect that the things we make are going to clarify for us who we are, what we are. It, it doesn't seem to really work that way. It begats more confusion in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, if you're not recognizing that there's more going on, it's not in your purview, then you default to solving problems that are not solvable by preference yeah. or opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, just, yeah, preference or opinion. And so um, when it comes to like things like your art in a gallery, like there's a point where the content is secure in the context of the work, but mm-hmm. now it's about how does the work work in the visual sense I'm talking about next to each other. And if you get into gallery situations and the gallerist doesn't know this stuff, your show can actually not be quite as good. And the effects it'll have on people are like gravity. So gravity is not experienced. We don't feel it. We just are free because of it. And so it'll be similar. No one's going to feel the difference in any physical way, but there will be a, a true difference between the phenomena of one presentation of the show over and against another. Um, and, and, and it's to say that there are like, there is like, deeper kind of um, unavoidable um, ways that things work mm-hmm. and um, even us. Yeah. And we're estranged from it. So, you know, I said we're, we're, we're objects that are subject to our objecthood and we're mm-hmm. conscious of it. We're kind of estranged in a way. Yeah. And so then we think, well, the estrangement means I just got to totally transform everything and just step out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, based on what, yeah. what do you, what are you going to appeal to, to help you know what to step to? Mm-hmm. So the Mickey is you're still really assuming that there is a way that the world works and the way things ought to be. And I'm just kind of off or not square with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's even deeper. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think, I think it gets even deeper, which is a huge conversation, but, um, free will then, how does that relate to calling? Man, that's, which, uh, which maybe is the next, um, yeah, I know. the I'm next like, part I'm, of the conversation, I'm, man, I want to jump into that, but I know we don't have the time for it today. Yeah. Um, which might be a, a good place. I think it's a good yeah. place to wrap it up because yeah, there's a million things that I want to go with that, and there's yeah. no way we're going to knock that out. Yeah. So next next episode, you know, we'll take kind of you know what what we sort of I you know, you might have to like listen over a few times to make this make sense, but um, kind of work through quickly is some some kind of like the dilemmas, if you will, <laughs> and then I think uh, we'll talk about clarity and calling and how that relates to us and things mm-hmm. and the stuff we do. Yeah. So I think that that will be we'll 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 catch you in I guess another week. Yeah. When we well, we hit this topic. One one last thing to wrap everything sure. up is something I want to talk about before we move too far from free will. Um, my daughter about to turn eight this next week. She was talking about free will one day, mm-hmm. and uh, so I just was like, well, what is that? Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, same thing. Oh, you can do what you want. And I was like, okay, well, let me just give you a scenario. And I've shared this with you before, Ryan. Um, I said, you come over to my house and, you know, we're texting before and you're like, what can I bring? And I'm like, oh, I'll bring a bottle of wine. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And I say, would you rather have steak or chicken? I'll grill whatever, but you tell me steak or chicken. Mm-hmm. I said, do you have free will? Mm-hmm. And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, do you have ultimate choice? Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I have, I have choice. I was like, okay, great. That's good. But do you have free will as you just described it? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no. So why not? I said, what's changed about the world? She's like, well, there's only, there's those two options. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so what do you have? 
do you not have freedom anymore? And she's like, no, I think I have freedom. And I was like, yeah, you got freedom. You can choose those things. Yeah. But you don't get to choose fish. Yeah. You know, you don't get to choose a yeah, and big that, head of lettuce. Yeah. In you, that scenario, that's not what was presented. Right. And so, so that, yeah. and that, that's, that's, I think, a, a way that, you know, when we think about a lot of things, it's like, do we actually know our options? Yeah. Do we actually know the things on hand? Have we, have we asked any questions or had conversations in such a way where we have explored and understood the world, our connection to it, mm-hmm. all the stuff we're talking about? Um, also, like our connection to each other, like you can't choose what you haven't seen before. Right. But what's dangerous, what's, what is, what is, you can't choose what you haven't th- seen before. You can't think what you haven't thought before. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, it's not available to you. You have to work out of what you've seen and what you thought prior to leap into the unknown, kind of going back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. But also, you don't exist as the authority. Yeah. That's the hard part. You exist in a world that is massively authoritative over you in, in its, in its raw state. So like if I, the winds pick up too high and I'm near a cliff, I can blow off the cliff. I don't have authority over that. Right. Like you got to start with absurdities and then work back. And so when we try to tame reality to the point that we delude ourselves into thinking that we have some kind of godlike status, um, we're frail and require greater amounts of safety to maintain yeah. that, that perceptual reality. And we miss out on the opposite, which is possibly the humility to recognize it in the opposite sense and find out that there's incredible things waiting for you mm-hmm. by turning from and turning to in the, in the opposite sense. But that's a whole discussion on um, actually that what we make is not neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what does it mean for it to be clear? What does it mean for it to be humanizing? What yeah. does it mean for your will uh, to determine those things, not the other things? And it gets real dicey. It gets really dicey because all of a sudden it feels like, wait, you're, t- you know, any of us, what you're saying, what I should or should not make. And it's like, m- but you go to art school to be told that. <laughs> yeah. But you like the idea that, that you're, it's like under the guise of, I'm not being told that unless I agree. Mm-hmm. It's weird. So we, you yeah. know, so we're really unclear. We're really unclear. We, we, yeah. we don't want to be told what to do, but we want to be told what to do at the same time. And it's like a, a, a total disconnect. That's the alienation part. Mm-hmm. We're alienated from our ontology and our so like we're broken in that sense. Like it's like the pieces aren't aren't um, syncing up well. Yeah. And then we want the things we make to sync us up. It's weird. I mean, it, it's like if you track it, it gets it gets real strange. Yeah. Um, and I think artists are like frontier folks that are braving this question sometimes historically. Like and then but then there's a lot of. Um, maybe just to land here, but there's a proportionate amount of people that are really waiting to see what is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Curators, gallerists, artists, and they look for what's quote unquote on trend and then they do that. Yeah. And there's more of those than there is the other. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole weird discussion as well. So I think I think there's some things we'll be able to lift into I I hope a kind of clarity, you know, you know, what do you choose, steak or chicken? You know, like yeah, yeah. What, what what's there that's knowable mm-hmm. and what's there that's actually confusing that we call freedom mm-hmm. and what is confusing due to us because it renders effects like what we make renders effects back onto us what yeah. you listen to i was talking to somebody who was like i never thought about you know like used to be like oh music doesn't affect me like blah 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 when we were kids and i was like yeah absolutely and then now that uh, this person was getting older they're like I'm looking back now and I'm like, dang, I think that music was bad for us. <laughs> and I was like, maybe, I mean, it's a weird thought to kind of get older and realize that, that perhaps what you were ingesting wasn't, wasn't for your good. Yeah. It's a weird question. Um, and you don't have the free will to just shake it off, mm. to just wash over you. It actually shaped you. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's big. Anyhow. On that, on on that, that bright note, note <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll leave you all there. But, we'll uh, see you at the next part where we get into how free will in this whole conversation we're starting kind of like folds into this conversation about calling. Yeah. So hopefully uh, you tracked with some of this. If you haven't, really go back and listen. Uh, hit up the episode in the past about, you know, rethinking the world yeah. and everything. Like I think all these things. Th- these Push on each this other. This is a big conversation Huge. that we're just giving you drip by drip every week. Yep. Um, but, hey, y'all are fantastic. We love you. You're a great audience, and we will catch you next time. Send us your questions. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.